that's right. Great. If you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to begin this series, uh, The Royal Road. It's great to be here. What a great morning. And uh, I do know the young people having an amazing weekend. Uh, Sophie had some prank put on her cinnamon, put all over her hair or something. And uh, she loves that kind of stuff. I was kind of getting a bit protective, thinking I better get in the car and sort them out. But uh, she was loving it. And they're having a good weekend. And it's wonderful what God's doing with our young people. And, and I pray that he will meet so many of them this weekend. And they won't just hear stuff about Jesus, but they'll meet Jesus and fall in love with Jesus. And this morning, we're going to look at um, some wonderful truths about Jesus that you would have heard maybe before. But my prayer is the Holy Spirit will move so powerfully this morning that those of us in this room who have got dry in our face will just fall in love with him again. Those of us in this room who are just walking through desperately hard moments in life will just be overwhelmed with the faithfulness of God again. And so my prayer is the Holy Spirit will move all over this room this morning. And so let's pray together as we, before we return to God's word. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Hallowed be your name. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. I thank you you're here whether we welcome you or not, whether we feel you or not, you're here. But God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts this morning. I pray you know where every single person's at in this room. I plead with you, Holy God, speak powerfully into our lives. And may we leave here differently to the way we've walked in, because we've heard you. And so, God, we come as we are, not faking it, not pretending, just as we are, God. And we ask Jesus, come and meet with us today, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. And so Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read uh, verses 1 through to verse uh, 20. So it's a long reading. Please bring your Bible to church, swim in the Bible and make notes and digest it. Don't just believe stuff because you hear people on the platform say it. God's giving you a brain to think it through for yourself. So take notes and work through it yourself. So here's Luke chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius, that guy, was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn." And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest 
and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And when they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told. And so, as Stuart said on the the DVD or the video thing, over these next few weeks, we're going to walk through this royal road. And we're starting this morning in Bethlehem. And Stuart's with us next week, and he's been preaching, I think, on Egypt. And then we're going to look at Nazareth and Jerusalem. And if you see at the beginning of Luke 2, he's making it really clear that this is a moment that happened in history. And, and I know this is something that we may all just take for granted, but it just needs to be stated again. Jesus was a historical figure. It, there's more evidence that Jesus existed than Julius Caesar existed. So you can't use that as a proof that all that he said is true. But the reality is this myth that he is a, a mythical figure that never lived in history is just garbage. No serious historian or scholar would ever argue that now. The evidence far outweighs that from Jewish historians, Roman historians. And so here's Luke at the start of this wonderful royal road telling us this is imprinted in history. It happened at a time. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when that guy was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And, and so the context is this. There's a decree that, that happened every 14 years in the Roman Empire. And really the decree was for three things. Firstly, was to ensure people were being taxed properly. The second thing was for military service. And some historians argue part of this decree was also that people would give a, a, an oath to Caesar and to serve Caesar. Now the Jews were um, not, uh, they were, um, didn't have to do military service in those days. But this is rooted in history. And Luke says this is the first registration or the first decree because in Acts, around 14 years after this, well, not many, sorry, many years after this because that would make Jesus 14. Um, many years after this, he refers to a second decree in Acts 5 verse 37. So here's Luke, the historian, wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, and he's rooting this in history. It's really important that we are confident that this is a historical Jesus that rose, that uh, was born, lived, rose again. 2,000 years ago, if you walked around Bethlehem, you could have walked into the very point where the King of Kings was born. We need confidence in that this morning. And so we see Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem to register. And whilst they're there, Mary gives birth to Jesus. The royal road begins in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a, was a small Judean village, about six miles southwest of Jerusalem, about 70 miles south of Nazareth. So get this, as, as those 
of us who have had that frantic dash to the hospital when the labour starts, it would have taken them a week on donkey probably to have travelled to Bethlehem. That, that puts into perspective our mad dash, doesn't it? So here's a heavily pregnant Mary journeying to Bethlehem. And then we read, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. And what we're going to do this morning, this is where I feel the Holy Spirit is taking it this morning. For, for 15 minutes now, because that was the intro, 15 minutes now, I want us to look at two things from these verses. And then I believe God wants to minister to people in this room. There's a move of God, I believe, that he wants to bring into this place this morning that is something that maybe you came here not even expecting. And there are two truths that I just want us to grasp from the scripture and apply it to people's lives this morning. And then we're going to have a time of ministry and worship and drawing near to Jesus in that way too. The first thing is the road behind. We need to understand this road that begins in Bethlehem actually is a road that began in eternity. This royal road had been mapped out in advance by God. And so in the Old Testament, there's over 300 promises about a coming saviour, a messiah. And when you put all these promises together, there's around uh, 60 specific details about this coming saviour and messiah. That about uh, each, uh, And Jesus fulfills each one perfectly. And this is really important, folks, that we're confident in this. And so when you look at these 60 facts, there are things like this. 800 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied the Messiah would be born of a virgin. A thousand years before Jesus, David prophesied that the Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced, which was a clear reference to to death by crucifixion. And this was 800 years before the Romans had even instituted crucifixion as a form of capital punishment. 400 years before Jesus, Malachi prophesied the Messiah would attend the temple, which was destroyed in AD 70 and was never been rebuilt. And then 500 years before Jesus, Zechariah prophesied the Messiah would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver. So 60 specific details about the Messiah is prophesied throughout the Old Testament. And we see two of them in the opening verses in Luke 2. The first is the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So 700 years before Jesus, Micah prophesied to Bethlehem that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So Micah 5 verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. This is a detail. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Another detail is that God promised this saviour king would come from the house and the line of David. So a thousand years before Jesus, the prophet Nathan prophesies over David that one of his descendants would come and establish an eternal kingdom. So 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 13, the prophecy is, When your days are fulfilled, you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This prophecy... In my Bible reading notes this morning, if those of you doing the Bible in a year, it was Daniel 7, who prophesies again this coming ruler, this sovereign king who was coming. 
And the reason this is so important is that with all these promises about the Messiah and these details given, just the mathematical probability of one person in history fulfilling just eight of them is huge. It's this number. I don't even know what number that is. But if I went to the cash point and that was my bank account, I'd be a happy man. (laughs) But friends, allow this to sink into your soul this morning. This book is either the most intellectually consistent and constant and baffling work of fiction, or there's a sovereign God who journeys through history, making promises through so many different people, and then the Messiah turns up fulfilling every single one. Over 60, or around 60, one person fulfilling just eight, that's the probability. And then we see Jesus. And I want to say this morning, I just, again, I'm saying what I'm saying this morning isn't anything new. But there are people in this room, and you need to hear this. There's a sovereign hand upon your life. There's a God who is the God of history, who's the God of the present, who's the God of the future. And just as he had his plan of salvation throughout the Old Testament, he has his hand upon your life this morning. And so when we look at Jesus, this isn't some accident that happened. This is part of a royal road mapped out in eternity. This is what someone once said. The name of Jesus is not so much written, but as plowed into the history of the world. Jesus Christ is the meeting place of eternity and time, the joining of deity and humanity, the junction of heaven and earth. This is Jesus, folks. This is the King. This is the Lord And as we walk in this royal road, we see God himself becomes fully human. Huge moment in history. Jesus, fully God, as if he was not man. Fully man, as if he was not God. Massive, glorious, significant. J. John puts it this way, the hinge of history is to be found on the door of a Bethlehem stable. Max Lucado writes it this way, beautifully, maps out the mystery of the incarnation. God became a man. While the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. He who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus. Holiness sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God had come near. He came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. I love this. 
And I want to pray this morning that the faithfulness of God will just fall afresh upon you this morning. That whatever you're walking through in life, he is faithful. The, the, The God who was faithful to his promises throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament, he's the God who is faithful to you. Corrie ten Boom once said this, in God's faithfulness lies eternal security. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, the glory of God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever made him unfaithful. And friends, if we are going to keep walking with Jesus, we've got to place our trust in his faithfulness more than our own. It's not a performance. It's a clinging to a sovereign God and saying, God, fill me with your grace. You are faithful even when I'm not. Even when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, even when I'm facing death, even when I'm overwhelmed by the pain and the brokenness of this world, you're with me and you're for me and you're not against me. Even when everyone else abandons me, you're enough. This is the incredible truth of the God of the Bible. He is faithful even when we are not. And it doesn't mean he does what you want him to do all the times. There's the mystery of just walking with him. And yet he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And I want us to pray this morning for people who who desperately need a deeper assurance of the faithfulness of God in your life. Maybe it's your own sin and habitual sin that you're struggling with. You just need a touch of God this morning to break that in Jesus' name. And to say, God, I want to walk into a new season with you. Maybe it's a case of you just spiritually dry. And if you're honest, you're bored and you're motionless and you're walking in circles. And you need to know God hasn't given up on you. He hasn't forgotten you. He's for you. Maybe you are so broken and overwhelmed by the reality of living in a fallen world. And you just need the love of God just to draw near to you again this morning. And we all will need this at times in our life. Because the truth is this. Once the faithfulness of God sinks into our soul, we will step out in bravery for him. The more faith you have in the sovereign hand of God over your life, the more you'll be surrendered to him. Hudson Taylor, the history-making missionary to China, said this. All God's giants have been weak men and women who have gotten hold of God's faithfulness. And the faithfulness of God over this church is secure, it is sovereign, he is king. Every good work he begins, he takes to completion. Every work of God in our life, he will bring to completion, because he is faithful. And when we walk through the, the gateway of death, his faithfulness awaits us. And so this morning we want to pray for the faithfulness of God to break out across this place. And then secondly, I'm just so quick, the road ahead. The road ahead, this Bethlehem points back, but it also points forward. It speaks prophetically of Jesus and who he is and what he'd come to do. The name Bethlehem means house of bread. Later in his life, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
I've come to satisfy the thirst and the hunger of the human soul. You see, the beauty of his faithfulness is that the faithfulness creates a satisfaction in him that isn't determined by circumstances, isn't determined by how great life is, but is determined in him. And that is what we want to pray for as well this morning. And in verse 12, I just love the fact that this king of kings who could have, cho- who chose, could have chosen anywhere to be born, chose to be born in a stable. His humility, his love, his grace. He didn't come striding into this world as a a military conqueror. He came as a vulnerable child. And he grew up and he died on a cross for me and for you. And so do you see him this morning? As we start this royal road in Bethlehem, do you see him? And as we look at these verses, there's three responses. The first is we come to him and engage to him. It's a big difference in the world, coming to church and coming to Jesus. We don't come here for habit. I come here to meet Jesus. You don't have to meet Jesus in church. You can meet him anywhere. But this morning, I challenge you, if you just come, because it's just something you do, and you're so welcome. Or are we here because we want to meet with the king? And these shepherds were like, we're going to go, we're going to pursue him in haste. They went. And then allow the wonder and the awe that God loves you so much that he did this for you. And these angels were so overwhelmed by what was happening, they erupted in praise. They were filled with wonder and joy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote this, We've become so accustomed to the idea of divine love and of God's coming at Christmas, we no longer feel the shiver of fear that God's coming should arouse in us. Are we lost in wonder and praise? And then the third thing is this praise and worship. I love these shepherds just return glorifying and praising God. And I want us to pray together now. And there's this... Last verse in a hymn that we sing at Christmas, A Little Town of Bethlehem. It was written by a guy called Philip Brooks, who was a 19th century American pastor. And he visited Bethlehem, and he was sat out, some people say, in the fields where the shepherds were, where this happened. And as he sat there, and then he went to a service in Bethlehem, something just touched his soul. And in the final verse of this carol, I want us to use it as a prayer this morning. And this is the final verse. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born to us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, Our Lord, Emmanuel. Jared and Victor, do you want to come forward, guys? That's me done. That's 15 minutes, I think. Hallelujah, first Christmas miracle. Oh, I don't get too excited. (laughs) 